three, four. Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's on our beautiful day here. If you guys hear any thunder in the background, we have got a raging storm right now. And it's like literally 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, I, I I, feel like thunder and lightning in the morning is rare. I don't think I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Well, you're never up this early in the morning. Still. <laughs> uh, yeah, so how's everybody doing? Hanging in there? Are you yawning? Snap out of it. I'm trying. I might have to smack Madison in the face a couple times today because we're both really tired. But I just got home from five days of backpacking. Like, just got off a plane. And I'm really tired. But Madison's like, oh, yeah, I hung out with my friends last night and I'm still a little tired. Like, I don't care how tired you are. Because I guarantee I'm more tired than you are. I don't know about that one. It's true. Actually, no, you're right. It's it true. true. You, like, did backpack and a lot of physical activity. I, just, I did a lot of physical activity. I just watched your kid. Yep, Madison stayed home and babysat the baby, which was... She's not a baby. Sorry. The, she's not a toddler either, is she? What What are you at five? Just a kid? I guess. That sounds weird. No? I don't know either. Anyway, so Madison stayed home with Phoenix, and I went backpacking in Utah. It's pretty fun. Utah's got some pretty fun stuff. And it was like over 100 degrees. And then I come home and it's like pouring down rain with thunder and lightning. Welcome. You missed all the sunny days. I know. Welcome home. All right. Anyway, today we are going to be doing another listener recommendation. And this case is crazy. I don't know if any of you have heard of the Lake Bodum murders, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's pretty crazy. This case has everything. Yeah. It's got murder and mystery. It's got multiple suicides. It's got multiple confessions. There's even Spies. There's even a KGB spy thrown in there. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. It We do have a lot of very difficult names to pronounce. So if you are Finnish, we are so sorry. We apologize so much. So today we're going to be talking about... That case. All right, let's get into it. Oh. Madison forgot that she actually has to participate, I think. She's just like sitting there. I'm like, Madison. (laughs) That's to you. Okay, so this takes place on June 4th, 1960 in Finland. Which, by the way, has like the most saunas per capita or something. Uh, Yeah, about around 3 million saunas. About one per household plus more. Which is crazy. Why is everybody in Finland hanging out in saunas? It was like a holy thing in Finland for... Okay, so like a cleansing, purifying. Yeah, yeah. If you're from Finland, let us know about the saunas. We're curious. Because we have saunas here, but they're not everywhere. They're like they're in gyms every now and then. Nobody really has them in their homes. That's pretty rare. I actually know someone that has one in their house. That's funny. I know one person that has one in their house. I know like literally one (laughs) human being that has a sauna. So they're not very common here, but I do love myself a good sauna. So I'm curious about it. But yeah. On June 4th, four Finnish teenagers, Anya Mackey and Myla Bjorklund, along with Seppo Boisman and Nils Gustafsson, now, both girls were 15, and both boys were 18. Love that. Which, that's kind of an age gap. Three yeah, years. That's... But, I mean, well, three years isn't a big age gap, but it's a big difference in age well, from yeah, 15 to 18. Well, yeah, it'd be like a freshman and a senior. Yeah. Which isn't that crazy. It's not that crazy. It's not that crazy, but it's weird to think of because I have an almost 15-year-old, and for her to be going somewhere with an 18-year-old, I'd be like, um, nope. That's not happening. Sorry. No. (laughs) Anyway, so these four headed out to go camping. Yeah, so the boys told their mothers that they were going fishing. Mm -hmm. Great excuse. Which I think they actually were, but that's they told their moms that's all they were doing. Okay, so told their moms that's all they're doing. And they did fail to mention that girls would be there. Of course. Naturally. That is not does that surprise anyone? No. It does not surprise me. So they set up their camp along the shore of Lake Bodum. This was near the city of Espo. 
which this was a pretty common place for people to camp. It, it not super crowded, but there would be other people there. Okay. But it was pretty a pretty dense area still at the time. The plan was simple. Set up a tent. And yes, they were all going to be in one rented tent. So they actually rented their tent. Cool. Eat some food, swim, drink. Although it is believed that the girls did not drink, only the boys. So Myla had actually kept a journal and she had written that the boys were drunk and that the girls were not. Well, they're 15. That night. Well, I know, but they're all out camping, you know. True. Like, I'm kind of surprised that the girls weren't drinking. True. So, around 11 p.m., the teenagers retired to their tent. Milo wrote that at 2 a.m., Seppo had gone fishing. She noted that Nils went with him for a swim. 2 a.m. Yep. Well, but it's not that weird, because by 2 a.m. in Finland, the sun would already be coming up. What? Yeah. (laughs) It's like a real thing. Yeah, it's like land of the midnight sun. They have sun pretty much all the time during the summer. So I'm going to compare that to Alaska. Someone tell me if it's wrong. (laughs) Because it kind of sounds like that with the dark winters. Yeah, they have really, really dark winters and then really uh, bright summers. Okay, well, I'd love to see videos because I just... I would actually... Yeah, if somebody has one. Yeah, for my first time, I just saw a video of like Alaska in the summer at like midnight. And there's just... Kids out playing basketball and crap. Like, like it looks like daytime. Like, it yeah. looks like yeah. morning. So, it might seem crazy that he's up at 2 a.m. fishing, but if but I guess the if sun the is sun's up, up... I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. So, but somebody from Finland let us know how that all works. It's crazy. So, Nils returned first, and then Seppo, and they came back with no fish. Yep. So, they were unsuccessful at 2 a.m. Well, one of them was swimming and one of them was fishing. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of sounds like kids like hanging out and camping and just like yeah. having a good time. I, I don't think they were terribly worried about fish, but they were, maybe they were hungry. I don't know if they brought food with them or not. Hmm. I would assume so. I don't know. I would assume so too. On June 5th, so this is the next morning, between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m., two 11-year-old boys who were out bird watching saw a man with longish blonde hair Walking away from a campsite. Yeah, so the tent at the campsite that he was walking away from was partially collapsed. And when the boys saw him, they said that he quickly turned his back on them or turned sideways. And they couldn't see his face when he did this, right? They did get a quick glance at him. And they said that he had a high forehead, big lips, and that was about it. Okay, so at 11 a.m., a jogger had come across the campsite where he had found the bodies. And there were mixed reports about who this man was. Some reports said that he was a man taking his kids swimming. Some reports say he was another camper. Uh, Him being a jogger is the most common one that I found. He ran to call the police. Because I assume there's no service where he's at. Is that it? Well, they don't have cell phones, oh, honey. Oh, yeah, shoot. This is <laughs> I forgot what year we're in. Okay, so he ran to call the police. This is in the 60s, so he doesn't have a cell phone. Number. Right, right. So I- I'm curious if anybody looked into this guy as the murderer. Maybe he got ruled out. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why he's not like, it's not written that he's like a suspect anywhere. Maybe because the police were able to ca- ca- like. I don't know. There's nothing about him in the police report. Like, initially, they have their suspects. He's never listed. He's never on their radar. So I'm, I'm curious. Maybe maybe it was somebody who had their kids with them, and so they assumed he couldn't have been the killer. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. So police arrived at noon where they found the tent collapsed. Mm-hmm. Two bodies were laying on top of the tent, and it was all covered in blood. Yeah. So... Basically, there were two bodies inside the tent, and then there were, there was for sure one body on the outside of the tent, and the other one was like partially outside of the tent, is the way that it's described. And from the looks of it, it looks like that they were stabbed from outside the tent? Yeah. Does it sound familiar, anyone? Like maybe we did an episode where people were attacked or threatened from the outside of their tent? I don't like it. The first body was Myla. She was naked from the waist down. She had multiple stab wounds and blunt force trauma. The second body that was on top was Mills, so Mila's boyfriend, and he was still alive. So they're assessing the scene. 
They're like figuring out what's going on and they realize that one of these bodies is still alive. Like conscious alive? No, he was unconscious at the time, but he had a concussion, a deep knife wound to his forehead, and a fractured jaw. Oh, a fractured jaw? Yeah. That's terrible. And a knife wound in the forehead? And a fractured jaw to me says fight. So I'm thinking maybe the two on top of the tent were fighting. And that's why... Like that's why the tents collapsed. Yeah, so Myla has the most extensive injuries. And Mills is still alive, but has a fractured jaw and is unconscious. Mm-hmm. So my thought process is that they were trying to fight their way out of the tent or trying to get out of the tent to fight or, yeah. or something. I mean, I don't know. He, unfortunately, though, didn't remember anything from that day. Nothing. He has no recollection. He does say that he saw a man in black with bright red eyes. Yeah, so he has no recollection of the the day, like not even fishing that morning. So he has no recollection of the day. He remembers seeing a dark figure with red eyes. So to me, I would say that we've got some brain injury going on. Or it was a dark man with red eyes that attacked them. Attacked them? I mean... So Seppo and Anya were both... Inside the tent, stabbed multiple times. <sighs> so, of the group, Myla seemed to have the most extensive wounds. So, the theory is either that she was the initial target, or maybe she just fought more. You know yeah. what I mean? The crime scene, unfortunately, was not immediately secured. So, this made getting any real forensic evidence difficult. Not just the fact that back then, we're not really... We're not DNA testing. We're not doing any of those things, right? Yeah. But now we've got people trampling through a crime scene with leaving footprints and things like that. But this is immediately labeled a triple homicide, obviously. And there were also items missing from the campsite. Okay, so the items that were missing were wallets and clothing, Nils' leather jacket. Which witnesses do say that he was definitely wearing it that day. Or he had definitely worn it to the campsite. Yeah. Okay, the keys to both boys' motorcycles. Yeah, so they had ridden their motorcycles to the campsite with the girls on the back. So Nils' shoes and some clothing were found nearby, like, slightly buried. Yeah, so I'm assuming the killer on their way out, trying to hide some evidence or bear... I'm not really sure. This seems like a weird thing to me, but anyway. Weirdly, even after looking at the buried items, like, some items just weren't found. Right. So the leather jacket is one of those things that kind of becomes a mystery because it is never found. Interesting. Yeah. The army even helped search. Yeah. So, I mean, they had a lot of people out there searching for evidence. I'm not really sure how effective or hurtful this might have been to the case, but it, the grounds were searched very thoroughly looking for these missing items or any further evidence. So, While evidence may have been trampled, they did do a very thorough search of the area. So could they have been buried somewhere else or taken from the crime scene? Right, so the murder weapons are never found. The leather jacket is never found. So the theory is is that the killer took those items with him or buried them more effectively than the shoes and clothing that they did find. So then, you know, the the questions come up of did these teenagers have any enemies? Or right. was it just, like, someone coming up and, like... W- random. Random, or, like, was someone targeting them? Right. So we get into some really crazy theories a little bit later about who might have done it and why they might have done it. But I think it's unlikely that these four teenagers had an enemy that yeah. that hated them enough kill to kill them. them. Yes. And four teenagers are a lot to take on. Like, yeah, so, like, four people is a lot to overpower. And even so. even if you are overpowering them when they're in their tent trying to sleep or or whatever they were doing, that's still a lot for one person. I mean, I don't know. They were initially stabbed from the outside of their tent. Right, the, the, it sounds like the attack started that way. So two of them... The two inside the tent maybe could have been immediately incapacitated, and then the other two fought a little harder, and that's why they had more. That's why Myla had more extensive injuries. And also, looking at this area, their campsite would not have been like easily seen from a road or anything like that. So on June 8th, the autopsies were done. Seppo had been stabbed in the chest, stomach, throat, 
and had cuts to his face. He also had a fractured jaw. He also had cranial hemorrhaging. His cause of death was internal bleeding. Myla had bruising to the head and face. She also had a fractured jaw, missing teeth, and numerous stab wounds. She had the most by far, something like 15 stab wounds. Jeez. Which seems very overkill to me. Her cause of death was brain damage from blunt force trauma. So even with all of her, everything that happened, what actually killed her was blunt force trauma to her head. Anya had cranial fracturing and bruising to the brain. Her cause of death was also blunt force trauma to the brain. This just sounds like whoever this is came in and beat the hell out of these teenagers. Like, they all have skull fractures. Well, and not only that, but we've got two different weapons being used right now. We've got some sort of blunt instrument being used, which could be a rock or something, a stick, like something of opportunity, but it would have to be something very hard. Something very sturdy. And then we also have a knife, too. So I find it kind of... Interesting that there's two different weapons being used as well. Yeah, in the like that's crazy because you want to hit someone pretty hard to like cause well, and especially form. multiple people. Yeah, like not only yeah. do you have to hit like someone very hard to like give them brain damage from blunt force trauma, but yeah. like multiple people. I know it's crazy. Also, none of them had been sexually assaulted. Which, if you remember, Mila was naked from the waist down. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And one of the theories that I was thinking behind that is that maybe her and Nils had been fooling around inside the tent. Or something like that. Yeah, reports actually suggest that they had not been sexually intimate yet up until this point. So it could be something like that. Or the killer did this for some reason. So Nils spent many weeks in the hospital, as expected, with his injuries. So now we're going to go on and talk about the three suspects in this case. Or at least the three initial ones. Yes, there will la- <laughs> there will there will later be, more. be a fourth, but... We're going to start with the three. Okay, so we have Penti Sononim. We have Valdemir Gilstrom. We have Hans Osman. Those are the three initial main suspects. Okay. And we're going to be dropping down and just calling them by one name or the other. We are not going to be pronouncing those again. You even don't though want I'm to say sure really long first even though I'm sure I did them wrong. I'm sorry. The first one we're going to talk about is Penty, who he was a criminal who was not at first a suspect until he'd been arrested for another crime actually and he confessed to these murders. Yep, so confession number 1, guys. More to come. So he was 15 and he had lived in the area like when the murders happened. Yes. Yeah. So he later hung himself at a train station during transport. Even with his confession, police didn't think that he was actually involved. Yeah, and he did. I do believe that he hung himself around the anniversary of the murders. But police still, like you said, don't think that he was actually involved. So I think we can rule him out right away. Yeah. So the next one we're going to talk about is Gilstrun. And he's actually a pretty good suspect. Okay, so he was a nearby kiosk owner. So he sold things like soda, ice cream, and gum. And he hated campers. So he That's was a weird thing to hate. I know. I know. Like, ah, those darn campers. Well, and I think he thought that they were, like, invading his area. Like, he lived in the area. Like, he just didn't like all of the people coming and going. Yet he had a business that catered to them, which I think is kind of interesting. But... He had been known to cut down tents, throw rocks at campers. Like, he was he was a grumpy old man. I don't really know. It's really weird to me. So when police went to his house, he wasn't home. His wife claimed that he had been sleeping all night long. She said he was quiet and thoughtful that day, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. A few days after the killings, he was seen filling up one of his wells on his property. So he had a bunch of wells on his property. And a couple days after the crime, he was witnessed by a neighbor, I believe, filling in one of his wells. Like with? With like dirt, like like filling it in. Like it's no longer going to be a well. He's burying it, which wasn't very uncommon back in the day to have multiple wells on your property. But it's very... It's interesting timing. Yeah, but what is it? So 
Like yes, he could be bearing evidence. Murder weapons that are missing, leather jackets, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Yep. But nothing incriminating was ever found. And police did at one point go in and actually search his property. But because there were multiple wells, there were, I mean, they just never found anything. Also, it's the 60s, so. Yeah. And he was eliminated at the time due to his wife giving him the alibi. So in 1969, Gilstrom got drunk and allegedly confessed to his neighbor about the murders. Actually, I believe it was in a sauna that he confessed. (laughs) Back to the sauna. Imagine having a sauna in your house. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So the next day, he was at Lake Bodum, and he said, look at me as I take a dive for the last time, and then walked into the lake and never came out. Which is crazy. I don't know how people can, like, drown themselves like that. Like, if it sounds like it was intentional. Like, everybody believes that he committed suicide. This wasn't, like, an accident. But that just seems crazy to me that that can happen. That you can, like, force yourself to drown. I think you just really got to give up. I guess, yeah. And he was a miserable man. So years later, his wife confessed on her deathbed that her husband had admitted to the murders and that her alibi was a lie. So this also took place around the 10-year anniversary of the murders. Crazy. Yep. And it's our second suicide now. So now we have two confessions and two suicides. The next suspect that we have is Osman. And this one's kind of interesting to me. One, he's rumored to be a part of the KGB. Which, it's secret, so nobody's going to admit that you're a part of it, right? Well, yeah, of course. This fact, though, has never actually been proven. But like I said, would it be? I don't know. I don't think so. But all I can think about when I think about the KGB is the show Archer. I think of The Office when he's like, ding dong. (laughs) (laughs) Who's there? (laughs) The KGB. He slaps the, There's a slap in there. I don't know. Said, the KJB will, reply, will, will answer to no one. We'll wait for no one. So wait. <laughs> I can't remember. That's what I think of when I hear KGB. But if you don't know, the KGB was an intelligence gathering uh, organization. This is kind of interesting. One day after the murder, Osman actually shows up at the hospital covered in blood. That's interesting. Where did where did we we just had a case where, yeah, it was um trailside murders. Yeah, the, so the trailside murders where people are showing up to the hospital right after committing a crime, yep. just in a different county. Yep, and uh, I don't know, I don't think this is even in a different county. I don't know, but so he's covered in blood and he has dirt under his fingernails. He was erratic and at times even pretended to be unconscious. So immediately he's got the hospital staff on high alert and super concerned about what's going on here. While he was pretending to be unconscious, he was poked with a needle, which he miraculously responded to, even though he was unconscious. He also asked for a solvent to get the paint, quote, out of his clothes. Oh, by the way, this paint was red, but the hospital staff actually gave it to him. So doctors did confirm later that it was actually blood on his clothes. It was not red paint. Really? That's insane. The receiving doctor who was working that day says that he is 100% sure that Osman is guilty. He claimed that there had been an unmarked car in the lot the entire time that Osman was there and that it left the same day that he did, which is kind of crazy. And this doctor has actually written books and made it his life's work to try to prove that Osman committed these crimes. Crazy. So he, they were convinced that he was guilty. So the hospital had actually put all of his clothes in a bag and even had somebody waiting outside for them to be picked up by the police. Because they called the police. They thought that Osman had committed some sort of crime at this time. And the police never picked the clothes up, which is crazy. Yeah. Really. So you have this hospital team that's like, something's going on here. So one of the doctor's theories, I believe, circulate around the fact that it's some sort of cover-up, that maybe Osman committed these crimes, but that the police are not taking them seriously or taking it seriously because they're trying to cover something up. Like we said, police did not seem to want to look into Osman. Yep. And he had also cut his hair right after the incident. Right. So, and not right away, but when... A 
description of the man seen leaving the campsite by the two boys was circulated, mm-hmm. it depicted a man with longer blondish hair. Guess what Osman had? That he promptly chopped off. Okay. So he's also been thought to be connected to Alice Kalik Asari. We think that's how you say it. So sorry. I know. A murdered girl in 1953, he was the top suspect. So his wife at the time reported that he had come home missing a sock that night and soaking wet. That sounds suspicious. So the theory that came out was that it had been a car accident and that they had covered it up. Yeah, and I think part of that too is because... He's rumored to have worked for the KGB, right? So say they're somewhere that is secret, that they're not supposed to be, and they accidentally hit somebody with their car, accident or intentional, I don't know. Because this girl, she was just riding her bike home from a prayer like session or from like a prayer service. So she was riding her bike home, and the theory is that she was struck by a vehicle, right? And they tried to cover it up because they weren't supposed to even be there, if that makes sense. So when he was questioned about the Lake Bodum murders, yep, he was given an alibi that he was home sleeping all night long. So his girlfriend, his wife, whoever it was, we're not sure. She said that he had been home sleeping all night long and he was cleared at the time. Yep. So some believe, you know, that she was protecting him because of his ties to the KGB or whatnot or... Just being a Which still hasn't even bitch. been verified. Why are they unable to verify that? I'm I'm kind of thinking that they might be unable to verify that because it's not true, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Later, when Osman was on his deathbed, he actually confessed to committing the Lake Bodum murders. Nice. So now we have three confessions. That's cool. He also at this time, so he actually called somebody into his room to do this. I think it was maybe a reporter or a friend that might have been a reporter, something, something like that. He also at that time confirmed that he was a member of the KGB. He also confessed that he was an Auschwitz guard because he is from Germany. Yeah. So at the funeral, photograph was taken. One man in the photo, like he can't be identified. Like no one knows who he is. Yeah. So family and friends didn't know. So it's kind of like a sea of people. And the photograph is taken, and the man is kind of in the middle, and we'll post a picture of this. He's looking towards the camera, and no one in the family seems to know who this man is. But he does strangely resemble the description of Osman. Weird. So kind of strange, yeah. So Nils would undergo hypnosis, and a sketch was made of the suspect. And this sketch looked a lot like the man in the photo, which also resembles Osman. Suspicious. Suspicious. Yeah, and we'll try to find a picture of Osman. He is described as having big, penetrating eyes. A crinkled forehead, slicked back, blonde hair, and large ears, and a big nose. But we'll try to find as many pictures as we can uh, of the sketch, of Osman, of basically anybody involved (laughs) in this case. So that you guys can kind of see. So years later, Nils would actually do an interview. And in the interview, he would describe the day leading up to the incident, which I thought was kind of interesting. So we're going to kind of read that for you guys. So he talked about how him and Seppo were actually childhood friends. Seppo had known the girls before him, and he had only known them for about three weeks. So Seppo had met the two girls and then introduced them to Nils. The group had plans to go to Mila's house after the trip for coffee and birthday cake. So somebody's birthday must be in this week. But he says that that was their plan after they were done camping. And obviously that never happened. And obviously that never happened. Nils said that him and Seppo went to Stronberg and rented a tent. He said that it was the old-fashioned type that didn't have a zipper but had the ties instead. They actually didn't have sleeping bags. They just used blankets. Seppo stopped at the kiosk to buy gum and ice cream that day. The kiosk owner's wife had said that he was there too, but she was mistaken. So he said that he did not go to the kiosk with Seppo. They then went to the lake. They went swimming. They tried fishing, but had no luck. So apparently they weren't very good fishermen. I don't know. They had no worms, but were only using bread to try to hook a fish. I just find it so interesting having these details from Nils's perspective. 
So he said, then they went, they picked up the girls and they got back to the lake around 6 or 7 p.m. They set up the tent together and that's the last thing that Nils remembers from that day. According to him, the next memory he has is waking up in the hospital and the man next to him in the hospital bed offering him a cigarette. So that's the next thing that he remembers is just waking up in the hospital and somebody being like, hey, do you want a cigarette? So he had no idea what had happened, and he said he wasn't told for about three weeks. Oh, my So God. he was in the hospital for three weeks before he found out that his three friends had been murdered. In 2004, the case was reopened, and the boys that were birdwatching were even re-interviewed. Police had announced that they had solved the crime, which is crazy cool because now we're in 2004. Right, so we're doing DNA testing. They had a new theory, and Nils was unexpectedly arrested for the murders. Yeah. Crazy twist. So DNA testing was done on the blood that was found on Nils' shoes, which, if you remember, they were found away from the scene and partially buried. Testing indicated that the shoes had been worn during the attack and lacked the blood of Nils. Right, and the reason that they determined that the shoes had been worn during the attack is that there was no blood splatter inside the shoes. There were a couple smudges from where the shoes had been like put on or taken off. Like there were smudges inside, but no splatter inside, which indicated that the shoes had been worn during the attack. So had Nils put his shoes on to attack his friends or had somebody stumbled across the campsite and put Nils' shoes on for some reason. Because remember, these kids are, their, their shoes would have been outside of the tent more than likely, right? Not inside. So kind of a strange thing. Okay, so there was also no outside DNA found anywhere in the tent, which could be why they started suspecting Nils. Yeah, and also one thing that kind of bothers me about this is they didn't test every sample of blood that they found right? They did spot testing. So they took a spot from here, they took a spot from here and tested those spots. They did not test all of the spots. But Mm -hmm. what they did test, they did not find outside DNA of. Okay. And you guys, Nils must have been shocked at this point. So he is a 62-year-old school bus driver (laughs) when he is arrested, right? He's married. He has kids. I just, I don't even know. So there was no actual DNA found that pointed exactly at Nils, but... Nothing in his favor. Right, but they couldn't find anybody else's DNA. So that's how they landed on him, I think. And the reason they didn't test all of the blood is this was a small department. They wouldn't even have the resources to do something like that. Especially... Back in 2004, when this technology was still relatively new. Yeah, for sure. Nils has had no recollection of the attack itself. And remember, he thought that the attacker had red eyes and he had remembered things under hypnosis. Which, hypnosis is a highly disputed form of gaining information, right? So back in the day, it was thought to be like a really good tool for witnesses, for children, for all sorts of people, right? That is highly disputed to this day. And it actually has been proven that a lot of false memories can easily be deposited into somebody's brain under hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Not intentionally necessarily, but it can happen. And I would say that anything found under hypnosis is probably not necessarily relevant anyway. You guys, they were calling for life in prison. They wanted Nils to go to prison for the rest of his life. And their theory was this. Nils got drunk and engaged in a fight with his friend, Seppa, right? So this fight got so out of control that Seppo ended up being killed. And then he had to kill the girls because they were witnesses to this crime. Yeah. Right? Also, Nils' injuries were consistent with a fight. It's just a matter of... Was he fighting his friend Seppo to injure or kill him, or was he fighting for his life, right? That's the argument. Second, if he had done this, he at some point stabbed or cut himself, right, with the knife. Maybe that was on accident. Maybe he did that on purpose. But it would have had to have been done after the fact if his blood was not found on the shoes or clothing that were buried further away, right? So I think that's kind of strange. The fact that his girlfriend had the worst injuries did not help him. And this actually added to 
a motive, police thought. So at the time, Nils had admitted that him and Myla had not had sex yet. And so the thought maybe was that she had turned him down and that he had kind of flipped out and that the other kids had been like, dude, you need to get out of the tent. You need to calm down, like whatever, like something happened where they all turned against him. But again, so did he use two different weapons then on his friends? Because we have two different weapons being used, right? Was he just grabbing for whatever he had available? Another thing that police wonder is, could he have gone and hiked a half mile from the campsite in order to bury those items with his injuries that he had? Because experts say that they don't think so, that he would have been able to do that. So he would have had to go and do that, come back, and then inflict the injuries on himself. Where's the murder weapon? Where did he put... Where do you put them? Right, because everything has been searched and scoured, right? Where's the leather jacket? We don't know the answer to those questions. So then what, he went back to the tent and laid on his dead friends for like five hours? Yeah, because remember, the time that the murder happened and the time that he was found, there's a five-hour gap there. Or did he just wait until he heard somebody and then like throw himself on the pile of bodies? I mean, I don't know about this. There is a witness who has not been named. This witness claims that the Bodum group, which is the teenagers, visited their campsite. The witness claims the boys were rowdy, which the boys were drinking, so... Possible, yeah. And that Nils was picking a fight with Sebo. Yeah. And then they had asked the group to leave their campsite. Yeah, so I have a couple issues with this witness. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys can all let us know what you think about this. At the time of the murders, it is strongly believed that there is no route from the campsite that the teenagers were at and this witness's campsite. Like there's no route to get there Mm -hmm. at the time, right? So that's kind of strange. Also, keep in mind that this account only came forward 40 years later for this trial. So this witness didn't come forward day one, Week one, month one, year one. This witness came forward 40 years later. And not only that, but the witness couldn't even remember the names of his friends that he had been camping with at Lake Bodum. I think you remember that. Yep. So so the story can't even be verified. Also, the other issue and the bigger issue that I have with this is Myla didn't write about this event in her diary. And she wrote about everything that happened that night. And I think if they'd been at another campsite and gotten into a fight and been asked to leave, I feel like she would have documented that in her diary. Yeah. Personally. There's also rumors out there that this witness was given financial compensation for their story in a documentary. So, I mean, I just don't my know. My eyes just rolled right into the back <laughs> Madison's of my head. rolling her eyes. I just don't know that this witness can be trusted personally. So the detectives that had brought Nils back to his cell from being, like, questioned... Mm-hmm had claimed and testified in court that Nils had said, in quotes, fuck it, what's done is done, I'll get 15 years. Yeah. The judge did not allow this into the trial because it was hearsay and not recorded. Nils later claimed that he was joking. Well, not not really joking, but like, oh crap, well, they're going to pin it on me, I'm going to get 15 years, right? I mean, I could see, I mean, like, he's like 65 years old now. Right. Well, and they also just brought him in to interrogate him and basically said, we think you did this and we're going to send you to jail for it. Yeah. I feel like that if it's kind of understandable if he's like, he's 65. It's been so many years. He's probably like, what's happening? Yeah. Well, I think it's also important to note that Nils has always cooperated with the police. Yeah. Right. They wanted to put him under hypnosis. He did it. They brought him in for questioning multiple times over the years to like try to get more details. He always did it. They wanted blood samples. He gave it to them. So another thing is that violence while drinking is not uncommon in Finland. Yeah, so I think you have to remember that they're bringing this theory forward. And part of their argument is that when people drink, they tend to get very violent in Finland. I didn't actually know this. There's actually been studies done about it, apparently. Let us know if you're from Finland, if you have any... (laughs) Do you have anger issues? (laughs) When you drink? Uh, So there was actually, like, a study that I read. I think it was, like, the historic criminal statistics or something like that. And it's thought that the Finnish people have exaggerated reactions to, like, supposed insults, especially while drinking. So... They feel like you that somebody insulted them 
And they have like kind of an exaggerated I reaction have seen to that. Lots of men break out in fights over things like that. I'd like to know if this is like a really common thing. Is there a lot of fights in Finland? I mean, I don't really know. I. My knowledge of Finland is very slim. Yeah, so if you're from Finland or if you know anybody from Finland... I would love to know. We would love to know if that's, like, a thing. They make it sound like that is very common. Okay. If it's not common, I would imagine that they're just saying it to try to pin him more. Like, make him seem more guilty. But if it is a common thing, then it would tie him into the murders more. Well, it, it could give them, like, a very thin string to hold on to i think yeah because remember him and seppel were friends like childhood friends they'd been friends for a long time so i don't know i don't know about that on october 7th 2005 he was acquitted which is the same as being found not guilty for those of you who don't like follow trials or watch criminal minds or whatever right right so when we say acquitted that just means not guilty yeah i think most people listening to this probably know that but in case you don't that's yeah. yeah. The state of Finland paid him 44,900 euro, which is like 48,900 US dollars. US dollars. Yeah. For wrongful imprisonment and any mental anguish that he had experienced. Which, is this normal in Finland? I mean, I know that sometimes people who are wrongfully imprisoned for like years? 10 years have gotten settlements. But that wasn't really the case here. So I'm curious, maybe in Finland that's more common? If you're found not guilty, like you're entitled just, to compensation? I guess I just don't know anything about Finland. No, we need, to, we need to do some more research on Finland. People have commonly asked him or wondered how he knows he's innocent if he doesn't remember the night. Which, I mean, I mean, I guess that could be a fair, that could be a fair question. I don't know. And others wonder what possible motive could he have had for these murders, right? The only, like, real even kind of legitimate theory that I've been able to come up with is that maybe Seppo made some sort of advance at Myla or he caught them doing something. I mean, I really don't know. And even then, he'd only known these girls for, like, three weeks. I just do not see him killing his friend over that. Yeah. And especially not in such a violent yeah, way. Yeah, no, I... But could he have had some sort of mental issue or mental something? Or maybe... Where did he do this in his sleep? Like, people have people done that. Do that. But I don't... The only thing, like, because I can see him being the killer, you know? Like, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. But what doesn't make sense is him bearing the crap really far away. Bearing the shoes and the... Like, right. that thing. Like, burying his stuff. I actually think the buried items makes him look more guilty. Because why they would the killer bury them? But they didn't think that he could walk back with his injuries. And then what did he do with the knife and stuff that he would have it, cut himself that's, with? That's what I have the issue with. So I could see him taking the items, burying them, not very yes. well, going back, injuring himself, and then playing dead or playing unconscious, whatever. I, I could almost believe that. I don't, but I could almost believe that. But where's the leather jacket? Where's the motorcycle keys? And where is the murder weapon? Yeah, and obviously I don't think he could have made it very far. Yeah. Because since he can't remember anything... Well, he says he can't remember anything. We don't know that that's true. Well, under hypnosis. People fake hypnosis all the time. True. So, I mean... I don't know, man. I don't I don't really know. Could there have been somebody else involved? I mean, we really don't know. Either way, he's found not guilty. what's the man with the blonde? The blonde man. That came yeah, because in case you guys don't know, Nils does not have blonde hair. Nils has dark hair. So... Mm-hmm. I don't really know about that. So, like, that. the bird-watching boys couldn't have seen Nils walking out of the campsite to go bury stuff and then come back or whatnot? Right, right. Because it's dark hair. Yeah, exactly. So, also, a pillowcase was found nearby the crime scene. It had small blood stains on it that they weren't the same as the victims. They really don't think that this pillowcase is actually related and that maybe it was left behind by another camper or yeah. something. Also gross, it also had, like, semen on it. So the Lake Bodum murders have become a cautionary tale to young people. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would say that every human in Finland has heard about the Lake Bodum um, murders. Well, the Lake Bodum murders is why I won't go camping with, like, like my friends. It scares me. So there's even a rock band named the Children of Bodum. Yeah, which is, they're actually really, really uh, well-known and popular. They're actually, like, a very popular band in okay. Finland. Yeah. So they also produce a beer that's made from the water of Lake Bodum. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Isn't that crazy? Uh, kind of they did get some flack for the name of their band, but really they say that 
they named their band that as like a homage to the teenagers, like to honor them, not because they were, they weren't trying to honor like the murder or anything like that. It was more like a homage to the children. Yes. I, it kind of grosses me out with the beer though. Like, I don't. Swim and yeah, fish poop. In that it's water so funny. I actually, that's what I thought when I read it. I was like, ew. Like I can <laughs> deal with like you know when I do go hiking. You know, I filter river water mostly. We well, we try to always filter river water, not lake water. Because lake water, like think about all the things that live in a lake. Like I know there is a lot of things that live in rivers, but rivers running. A lake is not still yeah. water. I know. I know. With fish. People, yeah, I totally I agree. I, I totally know. agree. Okay, so here's an interesting tidbit that I'll kind of throw your guys' way. Well, this is something that I find very interesting that isn't really connected to these murders in a lot of what I see, right? So we're gonna go back to 1959. So this is just 10 months earlier. Yeah, from so the 10 months before the Boda murders. Aina, who's a nursing assistant, and Rita, who's a postal worker, they're both in their 20s. They decide that they're going to take a road trip through Finland. So they kind of, they go, they set up their camp, they go a little further. Like, they're just kind of doing, like, a traveling thing, right? Which is really fun, actually. Yeah. Doing that oh, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. They arrive at Lake Tulalate. Feel free to make fun of us for our pronunciations. Totally accept it. Yeah. I might have said that one wrong. I'm sorry. I think it's Tulalate or I think it's Chula Latte, but let us know. They were attacked in the middle of the night with a knife and a rock. Interesting. A sharp object and a blunt. And a blunt object. They were murdered. They were stripped naked and buried in shallow graves. One of the girls' watches had been taken and it was found broken nearby. The time on it read 327. Strange. Yeah. So it's kind of strange to me that... There were also watches from the Lake Bodum murders missing. That was part of the belongings that had gone missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we've got a watch that's attempted to be taken, right? We've got a murder that happened around the same time. This is like an hour before they think the Lake Bodum murders happened, right? Yeah. Maybe a little more, maybe maybe a couple of hours. Around the same time, though, still early morning. Yeah. So a man who lived in the forest... By the way, what the hell is it with men living in the forest? I don't know. Did he have a house in the forest? I don't... Did he just live in the woods? Was it a shack? We don't know. It doesn't actually You say. never hear of women living in the forest? I know, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, the guy that had lived in the forest, he actually went to trial for this case. He was known as a creeper in the area, yeah. as I would expect from a man who lives in lives the woods. Lives in the woods, yeah. He ended up killing himself in jail, which also, I am so mind-blown by... All the people who had been involved in this case and had killed themselves? I know. It's kind of It's, it's kind, kind of, of odd. It's another mystery, yeah. Okay. He left a note saying that he was innocent, but that he had been found guilty in the eyes of the people. Yeah. He died in 1959, so before the, the Bodum murders. Yeah, so if they are connected, he was innocent yeah. of, the, of that murder. If they're not connected, police still think that he was innocent. Yeah, I think even the prosecutor said that they didn't really think this guy was guilty of this crime. So, they sound very similar to me. I don't know. Yeah, shallow gray. I mean, it's a little bit different, but maybe it's just because there were two of them. Well, two women. Maybe they didn't realize there were men in the town. What if when the guys were fishing and swimming, somebody had seen the girls at the campsite together and thought they were alone? And when they actually went in to they kill them, the men had come back and they were surprised by that and it or, changed their plans. Yes. Right? I mean, it makes sense. Also, my thought process on Nils having his shoes on would be that maybe they heard whoever was coming to like ambush their campsite. And he'd gotten out and to check it out. And he had gotten out, he'd put his shoes on and gotten out and that's why he had a broken jaw. And then maybe... Seppo also had a broken jaw, though. Maybe there was a big struggle. I know. Well, there. I, I do think that they were probably fighting for their lives at this point. Maybe Anya was the first one to die, and that's why she had the least amount of injuries. And then when she was killed through the tent, that's when everybody else started fighting. 
Yeah, because I'm thinking that what if they had all heard something and they were all like awake? Yep, and, and like, Nils went to go and check Nils it out. Nils went to go check it out, but he hadn't gone to where the killer actually was. He had gone somewhere else. Right, like, and then come back. Like, I mean, And who then knows? come back to like them screaming and then. Or maybe he had gotten up to go use the bathroom, put his shoes on, and come back and to the scene. Come back to the scene. And had his shoes on and wasn't like stabbed a bunch because. But why would the killer take his shoes and go bury them? That's the thing. No matter how many ways I spin this case, no matter there's always one piece. There's always that one make piece sense. that doesn't fit. It's like those freaking little wood puzzles where you have to like put them back together. You know, there's always one piece that I can't make but fit. I just can't like the three D ones. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. There is a suspect in the case who actually looks good for the Bodum murders as well. Tuvo Cajon had a criminal record. By the way, I'm pretty sure that's not how you say his name, but Tuvo had a criminal record. He had no alibi for the crime. There was kind of like this wall of sorts that was built at the lake and there were holes in it where someone could like watch women swim or things like that. Creepy. There was also a porno magazine found in this area. There had been a page ripped out of the magazine and it was found in Tuvo's flat. So he had been at that lake. I mean, I feel like... He could have been a good suspect. I'm not sure why he was never really looked at. Maybe there's something that we don't know about him. So Tuvo later moved to a neighborhood where a 16-year-old girl, Perker, Rihanna? Something like that, yeah. Okay, something along those lines. Yeah, she was murdered. And stabbed around 25 times. He was also a suspect kind of in that as well. So I'm not really sure what happened with him or if he was ever like seriously looked at for the crimes or not. Well, it's all kind of strange to me because I feel like none of the suspects were really looked into. Like, Or I feel like they were all looked into, but none of them quite fit, right? It's like that jigsaw puzzle where this guy seems like a good fit, but he doesn't quite fit. But So I feel like there were suspects that could have been looked into more, but I feel like there was so much focus on the initial suspects, and especially once... Police suspected that Nils was involved. I think that he, nobody I, could get away from that. A lot of people still think that he's the murderer. And I'm not saying he's not. I think that there's a chance that he could be. But I still think it just doesn't quite make sense. Who's your favorite suspect? I like the Tuvo. So I think that Osman, our KGB guy, I think he fits pretty well into it. But not exactly Well, here's the thing about Osman. If he is involved, then it requires that there is some sort of cover-up going on. Yes. Because I feel like with all the evidence, there's no way that if he's guilty, he doesn't get arrested unless they're covering something up. So if Osman is the killer, definitely cover-up involved. Okay, but why would Osman have killed these teenagers? What would his maybe they be? saw something that okay. they weren't yeah. supposed to? That was I mean, going that could be. And maybe their plan was to try to pin the murders on Nils, like implying that he or he was just like their scapegoat. Yeah, maybe that's what they tried to do by burying his shoes and stuff. But shouting. here's the thing: then they run the risk of what if he did remember everything. Right? Like, what if he could identify them? What if... What if they used KGB spy material to wipe his memory so he would 100% not remember anything? Uh, it's crazy. So we have... We don't know what the KGB has. We don't, we don't know. know. We don't know. So we have multiple suspects. We have multiple confessions. We have multiple suicides. We have... But my question is, why did the first... What was the first guy's name again? Gilstrom. Gilstrom? Yeah. So I still can't remember why, like, I can't understand why Gilstrom, our first the kiosk about, owner, yeah. Why did he confess? Why did he confess allegedly to the confessed? So his confession was allegedly given to his neighbor in the sauna the day before he killed himself in the lake. So okay. the theory is that, or one theory is that he didn't actually commit the murders. He was obviously a very disturbed, unhappy man already. His wife had implied that. Yeah. And maybe being the suspect of these murders was just too much for him to handle. And he was like, I'm out. And then the neighbor came up with the lie about the confession after the fact because he believed that Gilstrom was okay. guilty. Okay, now I, now I, now That's I the only thing I can think of for that, right? Yeah, that makes sense. But, but his wife also said... Said that she, he confessed to her. Yeah. 
and that she lied about his alibi. Maybe she was just a stereotype. But Osman's wife said the same thing. And what's up with everyone's wives covering for them? Right? Or recanting the truth later if yeah, they're like not saying, actually covering. Like they're like covering for them and then not. Yeah, so we are baffled by this case. I'd like to pick a suspect and feel good about it, but I literally cannot. Why wasn't Tuvo looked into more? I don't know. Police just didn't think it was connected enough to look at it. I mean, I don't really know. If there was an outside killer, get no DNA anywhere. And, well, remember, they didn't test everything. True. So my my issue, I think, is that every person involved in this case developed their theory and clung to it, right? So police developed a theory and they clung to it until they couldn't cling to it anymore. I mean, the way that they went after Nils was either because he was guilty or they just, they came up with a new theory and they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Let's go with that because of certain evidence that they found. Mm -hmm. So there's problems with all of it. There are people that believe it's definitely Gilstrom. There are people who believe it's definitely Osman. There are people who believe it's definitely Nils. Those are the three that I hear the most. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like almost everybody settles on one of those three suspects. I don't think I can. I don't think I can either. There's just too many missing pieces. But I do think it's very suspicious. Some of the things about Nils, the buried shoes, that sort of thing, that bothers me. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it can be Nils. I, I I don't think so just because of where is the murder weapon? He was able to stab himself in the head. Like if it was him, he was able to stab himself hard enough in the head I don't And then think get rid of the murder weapon. He would have been able to dispose of the murder weapon after that. Like multiple murder weapons too. Like we're not just talking like oh he like stabbed himself through the knife into the lake or what like no. Right. Well, and they also say that he would have had to throw and if he put anything in the lake it would have had to go really far because kind of where the campsite was it was shallow and like it to get deep enough because people were like, "Well, maybe he waded down." the jacket and the weapons, and threw them into the lake. They're saying it would have been hard for him to get them deep enough where they were unable and to find them. And this injury that he sustained is extensive. I know. What do, what do you guys think? Who did it and why did they do it? We need to know. It's driving would, me crazy. I would love to hear other people's theories because this one's kind of like with the Australian guy who just like walked off. Theo Hayes. Theo Hayes. With Theo Hayes, which is a few episodes back where he just you know, vanishes in thin air. It's kind of like that where I just like every theory that I can think of just doesn't quite fit into what happened and the circumstances. I totally, totally agree. The evidence. Because I think most of the time we're like, "Mm, yeah, it was probably that guy or it was probably that person or this is probably what happened. Like usually we have a stronger opinion on a case. But this one, I just, I, I really can't be like, oh, I definitely think it was this guy because it could be all of them but or none of them or none of them because i still so here's here's one thing that i think is a possibility that the killer's never been on anybody's radar that it was semi-random that this person maybe was in the woods was maybe a transient something like that where they came across this campsite they found themselves a pair of shoes and decided to go a little crazy maybe on drugs maybe something like that disappeared into the night. Yeah, I mean, also someone else could have put Nils' shoes on. Theoretically, like... Right, and then taken them off later because they were so bloody and decided to bury them. I just don't know why you would bury them. Burying the evidence, to me, just points right back at Nils because I feel like he's the only one that would benefit from those shoes being buried. That's the only one that makes sense for burying them. But with his injuries, I'm just not sure that he could have done that. I think that well, he could have buried the stuff. I just don't think that he could have done it because... Like, where's the murder weapon? Yeah. That part doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, so we could go round and round on this all day, you guys, but... I could literally keep talking Right? About so... I just don't know. Let us know what you guys think, because we're super curious and what like, yeah, everybody Yeah, anything thinks. that you guys have that would make more sense. Oh, or... yeah, so a lot of the research out there is not in English, uh, right? Because this did not happen here. So if you have information that maybe is different or... Yeah. Like, like let us we know. We would love to hear it, because... There are other podcasts out there that have done this case. Yes. I know that True Crime Finland uh, did an episode on it. They had some good information in theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some books out there. There's a ton of information. 
it's interesting. Like if you go and listen to other people's theories or read other people's blogs or posts about it, everybody seems to have a favorite suspect. We don't. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, let us know what you guys think. Yeah, for sure. I would love, also, I really just, do we have listeners in Finland? We do have listeners in Finland. Yeah. So let us know if. Let us know, you guys. Maybe don't judge us too much on our pronunciation. I know, I'm so sorry to anybody who speaks Finnish and heard us butcher all of those names. But thanks for listening last week and the week before and every week leading up. Yeah, we appreciate it. Tell your friends. Thanks for sharing us in your stories. We love you guys. Yeah. Stay safe out there when you go camping. Stay safe out there. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to go camping with friends. I know, right? It's still a safe activity. We just happen to be focusing on the unsafe stories. I just happen to, every time I'm sitting in my hammock, I go over like 101 ways that someone could come up and just easily, yeah, jab me through my hammock. It's kind of messed up. We're not relaxing in our hammock. We're thinking about all the ways we could be ambushed in our hammock. Perfect. But yeah, stay safe out there, you guys. We love you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see you next week. Yes. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.